Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to read the first six verses. Our memory verses are the first two verses, but I want us to talk for a couple of weeks about these verses and what it really means to run the endurance race of following Christ. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. Does anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand and Pete will bring one to you. Anybody? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. First two verses should sound familiar. Right? Because we just said them. Are you with me? <laughs> All right. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There are many pictures, metaphors, analogies of the Christian life in the Bible and also in our culture. So there's audience participation time. What are some of those pictures or metaphors of this? The Christian life is like blank. Audience participation, your time to respond. The Christian life is like the Christian life is like <laughs> nobody's got anything. Um, running, a race. running a race, yeah, yeah, that's the easy one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Running a race. What's that? With endurance, that's right, that's right. It's like being a branch on the vine of Jesus. That's, that's one of the metaphors, right? Amen. So being it, abiding in the, in the vine, Jesus is the vine and we are the branch. It's like building a house on a solid rock. Christian life is, and so Jesus, the house that falls down, the house that stands. Walking on sunshine. <laughs> Yeah, the joy that's there, the contentment that's there. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, S-O-N, shine, yep. What else? There's one I talk about all the time. Spiritual warfare. It's like being in a war. It's like being in a battle. It's like a pilgrimage, you know, that you're on and you're on and you just have to keep going. There are a lot of different pictures. Um, 
we talked about in learning community this week. It's about being God's temple with the Holy Spirit living within us. It's about um, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following Him. It's that disciplined life. So it, there's a lot of different kind of pictures and metaphors that hopefully that now that I've brought it to your attention, you'll see and notice. But I, I, I think perhaps the best is an endurance race. An endurance race. I re- a couple of years ago, I read a book uh, about a young man who um, got involved in ultra races. Have you ever heard of an ultra race? An ultra race is a, a race of 100 miles that's supposed to be done in 30 hours or less of running. And, those, and they hold them all over. I'd never heard of them. Um, but when he described it, I decided I never wanted to be a part of one. <laughs> the wear and tear and the damage to the body. But it's these endurance races, these ultra kinds of races. There are other kinds of endurance races. I, I discovered this last week. There's actually a thousand mile race, foot race in Alaska. Not the Iditarod where you're, you're riding on a sled. A thousand miles. I don't know how long it takes to do that one. There's a bike race of 290 miles in France that's to be done in, I forget, a day or two. There's a hundred, and here's, here's, here's the one that really got me. A 150 mile trek in, a, across the desert in Africa that's to be done in two days. A hun, on foot, 150 miles. That's crazy. But frankly, none of those compare to the endurance race that we call the Christian life. And in none of those races do you have the companionship of the God of the universe. Endurance, then, is the ability to withstand whatever elements you face. And then also to have the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual resources to make it all the way to the end. So the ability to withstand the elements and to have the resources. And so when they're running these 100-mile races in 30 hours, many of them drop out because they don't have the ability to withstand the elements that are there or the resources, the physical, emotional, mental resources that they need. Endurance. And so I noticed as, as we were reading through the scripture in Hebrews 12, 1 to 6, several different times he talks about endure or endurance. That it is the Christian life really is, following Christ really is an endurance race. And so I put it in your outline there that Christ, the Christ following life is an endurance race where we are able to withstand the elements that we face and, we're to, and we have the resources that we need and, and then as I, was, as I was thinking about this, it isn't to get to the finish line. It's to get to eternity. Amen. And that's different. Because in our upside down culture, we even talk about life as the end. You know, when you get to, when, you, when you're done, you, you just got to make it all the way to the end. And it's not making it to the end, it's to make it to the beginning, which is eternity. And so this Christ following life is an endurance race to make it to 
eternity, to follow Christ all the way through. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, one of our memory verses, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So the Christ life, Christ following life is every day, every day, taking up your cross daily and following him, just walking in step with him. The Christ following life, I put some characteristics of this. It's motivated by the heavenly realm perspective. The heavenly realm perspective is right side up. It's, it's pretty much the opposite of the earthly realm perspective. This earthly realm perspective, we try to stay alive as, as much as we can because there's this idea that this is the only life. This is what, this is what matters. And when I die, then it's over and, and I lose. The heavenly realm perspective says this is the preparation. This is, this is the beginning. This, this is just not even to the life. This is like the prelude. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19 says, Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen. So when, we, when this human life is over, the heavenly realm perspective is when this human life is over, that's the end of the beginning. And then we walk through the door of eternity, and then we experience the life that is really life. The life that is is the life that we are, are longing for, that we're trying for. And so it requires this heavenly realm perspective instead of the earthly perspective. Because if, we're, if we have an earthly realm perspective, we won't go through what is required in this Christian life. Why would I sacrifice? Why would I give up things that just I have a natural desire? Why, why wouldn't I do it if it feels good? If this is the life that I should be living for. I do it because I have a heavenly realm perspective. It requires the very best of us. It requires the very best of us. There are some people who say, I don't want to be a Christian because they're, 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 you know, they're just leaning on Jesus like a crutch. You know, they're just not strong enough. The only people that follow Christ are the people that are weaklings because they can't handle life. The truth is, the only people that really follow Christ all the way to eternity are the ones who are strong in Him. The ones who have come toe-to-toe with the devil and allow Christ to win in them and through them. It requires the very best of us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a spiritual war. It's a battle that we have to fight every day. Take hold. That's, that's a, an intense command. That's an intense um, challenge. Take hold of the eternal life. Grab it. Hold on to it. Pursue it to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight that requires the very best of us. Christians are the special forces of this world. <clears throat> They're the ones that are willing to do whatever it takes. And then few will endure to eternity. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 7, 13 to 14, it says, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus is talking about those who follow him all the way to eternity. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, that leads to an eternity in hell. But he says, those who enter it are many. So most people 
the multitudes of people, the majority of people who live this life will not follow Jesus to the end or to eternity. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Only few will endure to eternity. And if you've been around this world any length of time, you've watched people who seem to come to Christ and follow Christ and then fade away, fall away, get entrapped by something else and they desire something else. And, and we've watched it happen with, with people that we never thought would abandon Christ. It takes the very best of us and only a few. It, it, it's the challenge. You, want, you really want to have Christ, then you got to give it all you got. Amen. So it's, I think, the description of an endurance race all the way to eternity. A long, you know, marathon sometimes, you call it, but it's more than a marathon. It's like super marathon. And, and so in Hebrews, what we find, the first 10 chapters are about Jesus as God's son. So whoever wrote Hebrews, some people think it's Paul, some people think it's other people, but whoever's writing this takes 10 chapters in the book of Hebrews to say, here's who Jesus is. He's the savior. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. And here's why we should follow him. Chapter 11 has been called the hall of faith because it provides examples, example after example, example of people who are living out their faith who are enduring all the way to eternity. And then chapters 12 and 13 are instructions for living that faith. And I w- so I want to zero in on chapters 11 and, and part of, our, of chapter 12. And we're going to start today and, and we'll pick it up next week, Lord willing, to talk about how to complete this Christ-following endurance race. So the first thing that he says is that we need to draw on the examples of others. And you might be looking at your outline going, that's, there's only one. That's the only, there's no two or three. That's because I decided in advance of today, just to deal with one. (laughs) So that you don't have three, you know, two, three, and four there, and you're going, why didn't he get to these? Because we're gonna do it next week. So number one, draw on the examples of others. Hebrews chapter 12, the first part of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want you to keep your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to go back to chapter 11 here in a minute. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. Did you know that the Bible tells us to follow the examples of other human beings who are running the race. I think oftentimes we get so focused on we're following Christ that we don't see this part. Because we ought to follow Christ. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the Savior. He's he's the Son of God. We follow Him. We don't follow other people. But the Bible tells us to look at the examples of those who are following Him as, 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 as the Holy Spirit with flesh on. Because sometimes we need to see it in action. 
And God designed it that way. So the Bible tells us to look to the examples of others, but always with the condition that those others are following Christ. So here's some scriptures. They're not in your outline. They're not on the screen because I was just, as I was praying this morning, God brought these scriptures to mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, if you write it down. Be imitators of me, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> as I am of Christ. In other words, look at me as I'm following Christ and, and you'll have an example of how to run. It's kind of like when, um, if you remember when you were in high school, I know for some of us it's hard to remember that far back. But if you remember when you were in high school, if you were in a sport, or for me it was marching band, and I came into my freshman year, and I joined the marching band, and I didn't know the first thing about marching, and I certainly didn't know anything about playing an instrument while I was walking, and then paying attention to the other people around me as we were marching in a parade or making formations on a football field. I had no idea. <clears throat> The director didn't have time to teach all of us, and so what did he do? He had other students who were juniors and seniors who had been through it, who knew what they were doing, teach us lowly freshmen and pick on us at the same time. And then when we got to be juniors, what was the expectation? That we would turn around and help the sophomores and the freshmen. That's how we learn. God has designed it that way for the Christian life as well. Philippians 4.9. Philippians 4.9, the Apostle Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. He just blatantly says it. I've been a Christian for a long time. God called me. I'm a pastor. I'm a, an apostle. And he says, what you, have, what you have learned, it came from Christ. What you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He says, so look at the examples of our faith. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I think oftentimes we miss this. Because we, we read in the Bible, we think about Christ, and we don't, we don't often recognize it, and yes, we, yet we long for it. So last week during the baptism, as we listened to the different testimonies, there's something that happened in us. There's, we were inspired, we were encouraged, we were strengthened, we were brought back to our own journeys. And, and, and I don't know about you, but there were, there were little pieces within the different testimonies that caught my attention that's, that I said, I want to be like, I want to be more like that. Why? Because we were seeing Christ being lived out, seeing Christ having worked in people's lives. And we're connected. And so we need each other that way. God created each other that way. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. And so he's saying, we go through hard times. 
We go through afflictions, difficulties, and he comforts us. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Not only do we need to look to people as examples of what Christ does in a person's life, we need to be examples. So that when I come through this, these kinds of difficulties, God, just pay attention because God will bring other people who are going through similar difficulties because he wants to use us in the lives of other people. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Because there's sometimes, I, in the learning community this week, I, which, I can't remember which one, I talked about how there was a little boy one time that he was scared in his room. And his dad came into him and he said, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. It's okay. Jesus is with you. And the little boy thought for a moment and he said, but I know Jesus was with me, but I need somebody with skin on to give me a hug. And that little boy's right. Sometimes when we're praying, God, give me a word. Give me, give me some encouragement. Give me some strength. Give me, and, and we think he's going to deliver it in, you know, by UPS. Or suddenly it's going to show up inside of our hearts. But so oftentimes he sends people if we're willing to receive it. Sometimes we need to ask for it from people we know they can give it. And that little boy said, I need somebody with skin. I need a hug. Sometimes we, so we need to look to examples, but we also need to be examples if we're going to be what Christ wants us to be and if we're going to be the family and the body of Christ. Examples show us what is possible. Examples show us what is possible. I think in the culture of the affluent society in which we live in, we are um, short on seeing the examples of people who are willing to sacrifice. And so we think we're doing well when we're giving a little. We think we're sacrificing until we see somebody who really sacrifices. Because we think, how in the world could I do, how in the world could I fast? So if you're like me and, and you weren't exposed to fasting at an early age, but came into it, how, did you have this thought? How in the world could somebody fast like that? So I had, the, the person that introduced me to the discipline of fasting was um, a pastor friend of mine named Jim Harvey. Um, who I got to know, and he decided to do a 40-day liquid fast. I'm going, I could, ne I could never, uh, I, I can't even do two days at that point. I'm going, huh? but he, he did it. And then I watched another friend do it, and I watched another friend do it. I'm thinking, okay, it's possible. So it is possible. Seeing somebody else do something makes it possible in our heads. It gives us an example of what we might do. One of my favorite stories, I haven't used this for a long time, is about Roger Bannister. How many people remember Roger Bannister? Yeah, us old people. <laughs> years and years ago, Roger Bannister, and, um, on May 6, 1954, busted through the four-minute barrier 
as a, as a runner, as a runner. So the four minute mile. He busted through the four minute mile barrier with a time of three minutes, 59 seconds, and 10 tenths of it. Or three minutes, 59, and four tenths of a second. The story behind the story, written by John Bryant, says runners had been chasing that goal since 1886. Think about that. 1954, people had been trying to break the four-minute mile since 1886. Now, I'm not a math person, but somebody add that up. 54 plus, plus 14, 54 plus 68, 68, a lot of years. That challenge involved the most brilliant coaches and gifted athletes in North America, Europe, and Australia. For years, milers had been striving against the clock, but the elusive four minutes had always beaten them. It had become as much a psychological barrier as a physical one, and like an unconquerable mountain, the closer it was approached, the more daunting it seemed. This was truly the holy grail of athletic achievement. It's fascinating to read about the pressure, the crowds, the media swirl as runners tried in vain to break the mark. Brian also reminds us that Bannister was an outlier, an iconoclast, a full-time student who had little use for coaches and devised his own system for preparing to race. The British press constantly ran stories criticizing the lone wolf approach. Bryant notes, Bryant notes and urged him to adopt a more conventional regimen of training and coaching. So the four-minute barrier stood for decades, and when it fell, the circumstances defied the confident predictions of the best minds in the sport. The experts believed they knew the precise conditions under which the mark would fall. It would have to be in perfect weather, 68 degrees and no wind, on a particular kind of track, hard, dry clay, in front of a huge, boisterous crowd urging the runner onto his best performance ever. But Bannister did it on a cold day on a wet track at a small meet in Oxford, England, before a crowd of just a few thousand people. When Bannister broke the mark, even his most ardent rivals breathed a sigh of relief. At last, somebody did it. And once they saw it could be done, and here's the part of the story that catches me. Not that he ran the four-minute mile. Here's the part of the story that gets me. They did it too. 46, day or 46 days after Bannister's feet, John Landy, an Australian runner, not only broke the barrier again, but broke it with a time of three minutes and 58 seconds. Then just a, a year later, three more runners broke the four-minute mile in a single race, all together. Over the last half century, more than a thousand runners have conquered a barrier that had once been considered hopelessly out of reach for 60-some years. We need examples of other people to see what is possible. That's why we need to be iron sharpening iron. We need to be challenging each other. We need to believe what God says is true. So the cloud of witnesses that, that Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 talks about is about people who have gone before us. And that's Hebrews chapter 11 which we'll look at in just a minute. Examples show us what is possible. And look at me for a second. Examples in the Christian life show us what is possible when God is enough. 
Because there's so much in our lives where we think God is enough. He, he, he cannot or he won't handle this particular problem that I have or difficulty that I have. Examples, hearing people's stories gives us an understanding of what is possible when we let God be big enough. When we let God be enough. There will be times when you don't think you can do what God wants you to do. There will be times when you just don't think it's possible. Hearing the other stories, see and walking alongside other people who are, who are juniors and seniors when you're still a freshman in that area will give you the ability to do it. So I put in your outline, examples show us real faith. Examples will show us what real faith is. Faith is not an intellectual exercise, but rather it's, and I put the definition that, you know, that we're going to use here in this next chapter, is to be convinced and thus actively trust and obey. To be convinced and actively trust and obey. So flip a page over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the first two verses. So he's, the, the writer of the Hebrews has spent 10 chapters showing us this is Jesus, he's the Savior, here's why you should follow him, here's how you should follow him. And then he says, now here's what that faith looks like. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's to be convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah. First 10 chapters of Hebrew. He really is the Messiah and I should follow him day by day by day, by trusting and obeying. For it is, it, for by it, by faith, living it out, not just knowing it, living it out, the people of old received their commendation. It's trusting. And then examples also inspire and propel us. They inspire and propel us. I believe that God has led us to do kids' time the way that we do it. When I, so before we, we um, started the church here in the South Hills some 30 years ago, I pastored a church in Beaver, Pennsylvania. I'd never done kids' time in my life. I'd never been in a church that did kids' time in the middle of a worship service. So I don't know why on day one we decided to do kids' time. I don't remember, I, but I, I'm convinced that God led us to take time out of big church where it's important to the adults to say to the kids, you're important. Amen. Amen. And so we've been doing it ever since. And then when the pandemic craziness hit, we decided we're going to incorporate kids' time a little bit more and we're going to have them sing. And, and, and so now every week... They get to stand up here, sing their song, do their Bible verse, look out on the, the smiling faces of adults who are pleased with them and gain affirmation and encouragement and value. And that is investing in their lives that will go for a lifetime. And, and so I did it because I thought it was the best thing to do. But here's what I've discovered over the last 30 years. The kids that have gone through kids' time that I sit down here with, they are very comfortable in barging into my office asking for a pretzel. <laughs> or coming over when I'm sitting behind my desk, supposedly doing something important, <laughs> and coming over and just start talking to me about their day. 
Why would they feel that comfortable? Is because we spend time down here. And I love it when little Lincoln tells me about his debt, you know, whatever's going on, what he's afraid of. And, and, and I love that interaction. But here's what I've discovered is they, they in, in fact, in, in the past, there have been some people who, um, little child will tell his parents, um, I, let's go see God today. What do you mean, see God? You, you, you know, he, he, um, he does kids' time. They're talking about me. And the parent goes, oh, no, that's not God. <laughs> but why would they say that? Because I've discovered that somehow by them having a good relationship with me, it opens the door for them to be loved by God. You see, it's an example of, of somebody with skin on. That's God. You know, he nudges to do it. I didn't even realize what he was doing at the time. It inspires us when we, when we see people with skin on. So, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 then. cloud of witnesses um, and these people should inspire us as, as well as the people that we come in contact with. Hebrews chapter 11. I already read the first couple of verses. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation by faith, that is by actively trusting and obeying, putting it into practice, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, that are visible. In other words, God created everything. Every time you look around at anything, you're seeing God's hand. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Faith is living it out. He gave the sacrifice. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. In the Old Testament, Enoch walked with God and was not. He was taken. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, without trusting and obeying, putting it into practice, living it out, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What kind of sense does it make to build a boat when it's never rained? Right? It was by faith, believing in God and putting it into practice. By this he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham, start walking north. Where am I going, God? I'll show you. It was by faith. He believed God and he put it into practice. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's looking forward to eternity. He's willing to run the endurance race all the way to eternity, whatever that meant. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past age, since she was considered faithful, who had promised. Even though she laughed and didn't get it exactly right very quickly, she believed God and she put it into practice. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many of the stars of the heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar. They were looking to eternity, not here. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We are just travelers in this earthly realm because we live in the heavenly realm. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had been gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Believing God, trusting and obeying, no matter how hard it is, how difficult it is, all the way to eternity. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And we read about that with the kids a few weeks ago. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of, Jake, of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Don't let my bones stay in Egypt. Take them back to the promised land. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They acted in faith. They believed God's promise and they were willing to put it into practice even at cost of their life. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. An endurance race all the way to eternity. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Is that true of us? Do we consider being known by Christ, following him, trusting and obeying is better than anything that we can have in this world. Yeah. That's the endurance race. And we'll see that that's a part of what setting aside the weights and sins are. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. That made no sense. March around the city seven days and then shout, and the walls are going to come down. But they believed. And they endured all the way to eternity. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because 
She had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? And, and here's all of that is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All of these heroes of the faith. Here's how they exercise it. When they didn't understand, when it was hard, when it was difficult, when they just wanted to give up, they didn't give up. They just kept the endurance race going and they had great things happen to them. What more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put uh, foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And all of those are great stories. And those are Hollywood stories because by faith, they believed in God and they were willing to do whatever God said. And as a result, good things happened. But some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. I will not Um, I will not recant that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Kill me if you want, but I will not give up Jesus. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's not the Hollywood stories, is it? Those are the ones who died in prison. Those are the ones who spent weeks tortured but they would not recant Jesus because they were living by faith. And the worst that people can do to us here cannot touch the wonder and the pleasure of eternity. And that's the anchor. That's what gives us hope that there are people who have been there. And these, though commended, through their faith, did not receive what was promised since, promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, run the race of endurance. These people were able to do it. We're able to do it. Not in our own ability, but by the ability and the resources of Christ. Not by ourselves, but rather as we join arms, as we fight the good fight of faith together. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So two questions as we wrap up today. Who are you looking at for your examples to follow? Because you are looking at examples. You can't help it. That's a part of human nature. And so oftentimes it's subconscious. 
the things, and so the, the clothes that you're wearing today are probably because of somebody's style, right? Well, the things that we think, and we all have this, this voices in our head, if I, that when I do something, I, am I going to be criticized for this? Or am I going to be encouraged by this? It would, would and, 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 so, and it can be so subconscious that you don't even realize it's there, but it might be a parent that's in your head, it might be a friend that's in your head, that you immediately think this would please them or this, they would criticize this. Who are your examples? Secondly, how are you doing living as an example? Because there are people watching you. For those of you that are parents, you have kids that are watching you in, in, at times when you don't even know it. For you, those of us that are grandparents, we have kids that are watching us. We have people maybe at work or in the neighborhood or around us. And they, they watch us. Because if they find out that supposedly we're a Christ follower, then all, they, you know, they're watching us. And they're going to either be encouraged and inspired or they're going to be disappointed and, or, and, and Jesus could be given the wrong, uh, a wrong face. So how are you living as an example? And who are you using as your example? I want to read uh, the verses from 10, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 to 39 as we close. Thinking about this endurance race, about being examples, helping other people along on this endurance race, watching the people who are a few steps ahead of us as an encouragement. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. There's that word again. To put up with the elements, to endure the elements, to, to, to go through those elements and to have the resources that you need to go forward. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back. Life is short and Jesus is coming back. But my righteous one shall live by, what's the word? Faith. Faith. Believing and putting it into practice. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And I love verse 39. I think it's one of the most inspiring verses that I want to be true of me. And I hope you do too. But we are not of those who shrink back. Satan, throw your worst at me. Do your, do the, the, the most dangerous thing, the worst thing you could do, the hardest thing, the most painful thing, go ahead. People in this world, go ahead. You do your worst to me, but I will not shrink back from my faith in Jesus Christ, from my commitment to him. I will do the hard thing. That's why, prayer, that's why prayer and fasting is so important because it's choosing to do the hard thing, to deny ourselves so that when the hard stuff comes, we've built those muscles. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. That wouldn't be a bad thing to put on a tombstone. Lord, I 
ask that you would do whatever it takes to work in our lives and among us as your church family. To live by faith as these people did. Examples to us of believing that you really are God and then trusting and obeying moment by moment, step by step. God, I pray that you would identify any areas in each of our lives where we're not being examples or we're using bad examples to follow. And that you would correct that so that we are, are following the way that you want us to follow. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to, be, to cheer one another on as we go forward so that we all run this race of endurance all the way to eternity. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reach into each life, each heart, do, to help them do whatever it takes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.